Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm privileged to have Mike Sheila here, Chief Consultant at Mike Sheila Consulting. Mike, welcome to the show. Umar, thank you for having me on today. This is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun, but uh, let's kick it off with tell me in 90 seconds who you are and what you do. In 90 seconds, I am first and foremost a salesman, and I have been so since 1996. And a few years ago, I became what I describe as a LinkedIn evangelist. And I found that most salespeople aren't terribly good at using LinkedIn, and that's a market. And I found that I could share my skills and my experiences, not just in sales, but in how to really maximize your LinkedIn profile so that salespeople could be much more successful. They could find deals faster, they could close deals faster, and they could sell bigger deals. Hallelujah. (laughs) So this show's broken up into three areas. One is, you know, getting to know you. Mm -hmm. Second one is your expertise as a salesperson, what you can share with our audience to help them improve their game. And number three, just the sales industry at large, because it's changing as we speak, Mm -hmm. and insights from you are going to be really helpful. So let's kick this thing off. Who is your favorite superhero? Easy. Don't even have to think about it. Superman. Why? He is all-powerful, and because of that, he has to recognize how to meter out his power. He could very easily just take over the world and be like a god and dominate everyone, but he really embraces the Clark Kent side of his character where I want to be a human. I want to be part of the human race. I want to identify with other people. It's hard not to love that. So it's leadership, right? Leadership is all about having, influencing people to take the right actions and not using brute force to do so. Right. Other because, other than because I said so. <laughs> right. Have you ever said that as a dad? Don't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> so who's your, what motivates you? My family. I have a wife. I have two children, one with special needs. And the idea that I get up in the morning and I'm doing what I want to do. And I'm helping people. And because of that, I make a living and can take care of my family. It's fantastic. Brilliant. So who's, uh, who's your mentor? I have several of them. You actually got to meet one of them last week, Pete Kolash. I, I talked about during our presentation that I did with him that Pete saved my life. He has given me more wisdom and more insight in the last three years than anybody else before that. So does that mean Pete's really smart or you're really dumb? Probably a combination <laughs> of the two. <laughs> So, Mike, what's your favorite cuss word? You know, I put a lot of thought into this one because there's only a handful of them out there. My wife and I like to get creative from time to time. And I was laying in bed one day and I came up with son of a titty fucker. That's (laughs) that is unusual. (laughs) If you could have lunch with anybody that we know today, somebody famous or a historical figure or a fictional figure, who would that person be? And what would you ask them? It would be my mom. She passed away in September of 2003. 
died way before she should have. And I would simply ask her, are you proud of what I've done since you've been gone? Nice. What was your first sales job? (laughs) The Combined Insurance Company of America. And I put more money in my gas tank than I did in my bank account for the six plus months that I worked for them. But they, they certainly taught me a thing or two about sales. In your career, what's the best deal that you ever had? Best deal? Best deal. It's probably Howard Bank. The initial contract with them was $9,000 a month. I closed that deal in under 60 days. Nice. And I grew it to $22,000 a month. In which uh, business? That was in telecom. Telephone service, internet access. Who was your best sales manager and what attribute did he or she have that uh, you admired? A woman named Hunter Picklick. I worked with her for four years at Earthlink. And I think her greatest attribute was her open willingness to engage and talk to me about sales. I would frequently wander into her office on any given day, Mm -hmm. and we would have a 30 to 45-minute conversation about sales, about the right ways, the wrong ways, how can we get better. Because of that, she was a, a tremendous sales mentor to me. Not that she taught me anything, but she was so willing to listen and allow the the ideas to flow. So we're back to that leadership thing again. Leadership isn't about power and force. It's about elegance. Yes. So tell me about a come to Jesus moment where, you know, your career was going in one direction and it was like one of those where you had to really rethink what you were doing, retooling. It actually happened fairly recently. I had a day job. I was working for Comcast and Without getting into too many of the details, they had decided that my company, Mike Shield Consulting, was a conflict of interest. And I could have gone out and started looking for another job. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't want to work for other people anymore because it seems like every time I do, I get put into a box and I'm very uncomfortable in that box. Right. Whereas Mike Shield Consulting has been incredibly rewarding. The idea that somebody pays me money for my thoughts and my ideas, and then we're done, they shake their hand, my hand and say, thank you. It's incredibly gratifying. Nice. Mike, tell me about a deal that you saved from the jaws of death. I don't know if it's quite the jaws of death, but I, I, I went into an auto dealership about four years ago that wanted an internet connection. Right. And they told me who the players were, and I knew that my price was less than the players. I came back a week later with the proposal, and the decision maker looks over the proposal and goes, that's great, Mike, but that doesn't solve my problem. I said, what do you mean that doesn't solve your problem? I said, I'm, I'm less than com- competitors, right? He goes, yes. He goes, I don't have a budget. So what do you mean you don't have a budget? He said, I don't have any budget. What I came to learn was they had made a significant investment in some software mm-hmm. that was requiring a seriously fast internet connection in order right. to work properly. They didn't know that until after they bought the software and could not return it. They now were faced with the problem of getting the connection without spending any money, any more than they were currently spending. Right. I went back to the drawing board. I evaluated all of their telecom spending for their entire company, was able to put the connection in and actually reduce their monthly expenses by $700 a month. So you pulled the lens back and saw the bigger scope of business you could get and they were motivated to do so. Yes. So it's about perspective. Mm -hmm. And often salespeople and 
mere humans, uh, (laughs) where we get into trouble is we only see things from our point of view. And leadership, again, is all about having the ability to pull back and get a different perspective, whether it's from the customer side or from more of a meta space. We just look down at the entire situation and go, oh, wait a minute, we can solve this if we pull back the focus. There's another way to do this. So tell me, where in your career did you make the jump from good to great? I don't know that I have. I think I've made the jump from good to better. If the one nice. thing I've picked up in the last three years, when I when I met Pete, is I realized I don't know what I don't know, and as a result of that, I didn't I'm, know that. Yeah, I've, I've become a voracious reader, and in the last three years, I've read somewhere around a hundred, hundred and twenty books on sales, on leadership, on emotional intelligence, networking industry specific to LinkedIn. I've had people say to me, well, Mike, you're a LinkedIn expert. Why are you reading books on LinkedIn? I'm like, that's what experts do because I don't know everything. And every time I read someone else's blog, I pick up something. Mm -hmm. Nice. And that's also, this podcast isn't about leadership, but it kind of is. And that's another thing that great leaders do is they're always learning. What's something you're learning right now that really turns you on? That's okay to talk about on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I... I stumbled into the concept of emotional intelligence about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I went down the rabbit hole looking for books one day, and I found this book. And a client was booking me for a speaking event to do my LinkedIn training. And they said, well, we'd, we'd love to have you talk about another subject. What else can you talk about? And I said, well, I just read this book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Dr. Travis. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And the, the woman said, you know what? I read that book too. I loved it. Why don't you talk about that? Okay. (laughs) So I spent the next six months reading every book I could get my hands on for emotional intelligence. And then Jeb Blunt wrote Mm -hmm. this wonderful book about six months ago called Sales EQ. And for me, that was the last piece of the puzzle that snapped in. Nice. Where I saw the the direct connection between raising your emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. and increasing your ability to sell effectively. Nice. So what's one tip out of that that our listeners could put into action? The gap between an event and how you respond to the event. In its simplest form, emotional intelligence is you experience something, you give your brain the opportunity to allow that experience to pass through your emotional filter, your content filter. Mm-hmm. Your entire life has built this filter that shapes the way you see the world. Yep. And you give the experience the opportunity to pass through that filter, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's happy, whether it's sad, whether it's frightening, whether it's exciting. And you give your logical brain the opportunity to process that information before responding. So it goes back to that place of perspective. Because if you respond, your perspective is very highly focused from your past experiences. Uh, My dad didn't take me to the circus, and now I'm a damaged person. (laughs) And if you let it go through, you get a different perspective. Yes. You can still go back to the original, but it gives you the option to figure out what's best. Yes. Totally brilliant. So tell me about a rebound moment in your career. Because one of the things that separates, you know, people that are truly great at what they do and people that are average is we're all going to fall down. Mm-hmm. People that are truly great get up faster, yeah. and they keep going. Tell me about one of those moments where you kept going. Yeah, I actually I had a very interesting scenario a few years ago where I wasn't unhappy with my job, mm-hmm. but I wasn't thrilled about it. 
And I had two or three different suitors that were potentially pursuing me to come and work for them. And I walked into the office one day and my manager says to me, I want you to know that you're going to see a raise on your paycheck on Friday. And I said, I am? She said, yeah, you've been doing such great work. I I felt like this was appropriate, that you needed to be raised up Sweet. the level. And in the 15-plus years I had been in the industry at that point, no one had ever even suggested doing something like that. She didn't simply suggest it. She took care of it, and then once it was official, told me that she had done it. Nice. And it wasn't an honorarium. It was a nice bump. (laughs) Nice. And that also kind of comes back to leadership again. It's a lot of times people have leaders that make promises, and they have every intention of doing so. And many times that, because it's outside of their control, it doesn't happen. And here was a leader that basically said, okay, it's done, and now I'm going to tell Mike, hey, good job. This is happening on Friday. Yep. Because, uh, you know, leadership is all about managing and setting expectations in a way that you get the most out of the people that you're leading. I'll qualify that. Life is about managing expectations. Absolutely. Because the ultimate leadership is leading ourselves mm-hmm. to reach our potential and not stuck wherever we uh, choose to, our development stops. So let's take a look at the sales uh, profession as a whole. What do you think the biggest challenge is right now in selling today? I think it's twofold. I think most salespeople don't take the time to develop themselves. And mm-hmm. I, I know I was guilty of this for a very long time. I was in that camp of, I know everything there is to know about sales. After all, I've read Zig Ziglar. <laughs> and so they stop. They don't keep, they don't know what they don't know. They don't keep driving. They don't keep growing. And to compound that, most of sales leadership has gotten away from the leadership part of their job. I had a, a colleague several years ago who had been in a management role with the company I was at. Right. And she was transitioning into a direct rep role. And I said to her, why are you doing that? And she said, well, I'm going to go on Rob's team. I'll be one of nine reps, and I'm going to help the other eight people close deals and coach them through. And I said, well, isn't that what Rob's supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, he's way too busy to do any of that. I'm like, busy doing what? That's his job is to lead, mentor, coach, train. And it wasn't just him. It's it's a disease in, in sales overall that people put sales managers into roles and they have them manage off an Excel sheet or off of a CRM. And right. They, they, they miss the leadership part horribly. And so the new sales leader is a leader coach that's helping his or her people get better incrementally as they go. And it's that ongoing relationship, which does seem to be uh, catching on, probably not as fast as it should. (laughs) Yes. And who was this leader you were talking about that basically wasn't coaching? He was too busy. First name? Rob. So one of the things that Rob probably did that was brilliant, I don't even know Rob, (laughs) is he might have sucked at that coaching side of things. And to bring somebody that was more talented in to do it, that's leadership too, right? It could be, yeah. That's a good way to look at it. 
So uh, it's all about perspective. Yep. And mine could be totally wrong, but what the heck? Mike, how do you land quality appointments? Because ultimately, getting in front of the people that can hire you and cut you big checks is what it's all about. But how do you go about doing that? In my LinkedIn training, I talk about borrowing and leveraging trust. And it's as simple as you have a good relationship with a tight core of people. Yes. Let's say that tight core is five people. Your first goal is to add a sixth person. Makes sense. And continue to build that trust that you have with those six. Right. And then build it to seven. Now, there's no timetable for this because it's important that you keep the good people good. Right. And then through platforms like LinkedIn, you figure out, well, who do my good people know that could be good clients for me? And then you ask them to introduce you because when you're borrowing that trust from them right the likelihood that that person that doesn't know you says yes i will meet with you goes up tenfold makes sense basically what you're saying is don't lose sight of the basics you know anytime a coach comes into a new team the first thing they say is we're going back to the basics and i think when we get caught up in sales or life we try and develop new strategies and it comes down to one human connecting with another. Yes. And if I've got trust with Mike and Mike says, you know, I've got a friend you should talk to. Or if I say, Mike, could you introduce me to this person? And that's how you build trusting relationships that extend. And if it's done right, that person that Mike introduces me to is someone that becomes part of our trusted circle because he owes Mike one. It's like, well, thank you so much for introducing me to Umar. That's helped my business. So everybody wins as long as we have that trust and we do phenomenal work and Going back to expectations, over-deliver and under-promise and make sure people are ecstatically happy. Yeah. I call it connect and cultivate. Nice. So have you led a sales team before? Not in a very long time. (laughs) Early on in my career, I was given a couple of opportunities and I was given the opportunity based on my own personal performance. Mm -hmm. And what I found was I wasn't ready to connect and mentor and coach people. Right. Goes back to that Clint Eastwood movie, Dirty Harry. A man's got to know his limitations. Yep, and I did not. <laughs> right now, is that something you'd like to do or just keep your company small? I love the idea of mentoring and training others. In fact, I was approached by a, a large company last weekend, totally was not looking for the opportunity, but they're interested in having me come in and train their sales team nice. on a regular, like a full-time basis. And... That really excited me because I talked to them about what their plan is and what's important to them and how they want to go about it. And so often sales training is lacking on a corporate level. But this organization is smart enough to recognize, you know, we want to do a few things differently. There's some value to changing how we go about this thing. And one of the big things that they put an emphasis on is coaching the sales managers, coaching the coaches. Because it's leverage. It's it's multiplying your efforts. If I spend a ton of time really helping the sales managers, then the time I spend with the sales reps will be much more powerful. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times for corporations, the trouble spot is not the people on the ground. And it isn't people, higher executives. It's middle management because they often get left out in the training. 
And they're like, well, they should know what they're doing. And that's where most of the lawsuits end up coming is from middle management. Or just think of how much money gets left on the table if you have an ineffective sales manager that isn't maximizing the sales team. Yep. So if you were not in one of those positions where you're working with a company, mm-hmm. how would you know you're hiring the right sales rep? Like what do you have to see or hear or know to validate your decision to hire? I think there are two answers to that. One is how open are they to learning? Right. When you get a sense that they're on the journey themselves already, mm-hmm. or if they're not, and you say, well, how open are you to it? And you, you get a sense that their answer is authentically yes, then you can teach skills. You can't teach ethic. And I think another way of asking the same question is, what are you learning right now? Mm-hmm. If there's a blank look, then you know. And if it's like, oh, I'm learning this, if they're learning it, they're going to be excited about it. Yes. If they go, you know, I'm learning this and, you know, it's kind of interesting and it's helping me grow as a sales rep and you get tonality, body language, it's like, I don't think so. Yep. So how would you know it's time to let someone go? You've got a sales rep. What do you have to see here or physically be able to grab a hold of to let you know it's time to let this person go? Well, I think you just touched on it. It goes a lot into their body language and how they're acting, how they're reacting. But the step before that that I think most leaders miss, again, because they're so overwhelmed, is what have you done to help this person? Because you hired them for a reason. Right. You didn't hire an idiot. You hired somebody that had a ton of potential. So why has that not gone the way that you wanted it to? And most sales leaders will tell you, oh, well, they were lazy. They had a bad attitude. Man, they weren't prospecting enough. But which came first? Yeah, I, I know in my personal career, every time I took a job, I took it with the intention of being there a very long time. And then somewhere along the way, there was that moment that occurred and I said, oh, you're just like everybody else. You don't actually care about me one bit. So it kind of goes back to that, you know, when you're the leader, great leaders ask that question, what's my part in this? Mm -hmm. And when you start seeing the signs, what do I need to do to figure out what the issue is? And help people improve in those areas. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, sales mechanically is not a difficult thing to do. (laughs) There's a mindset component, which is (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Mechanically, it is not difficult at all. I like that. But people like the internal stuff gets in the way of us executing the things that we need to execute. And as leaders, if we monitor that, not micromanage. There's a company in town called uh, Voresight. Well, actually, in town meaning Tyson's Mm Corner-ish area. What they did was they brought some software in that looked at what their inside sales people were doing. So there was a camera looking at their body language. They were monitoring what they typed in the computer, and they were recording the calls. And the sales rep themselves could actually go rate the call. Great call or a challenging call. And everybody had turned the webcam up towards the ceiling because the leadership hadn't explained what the purpose of the software was. It's not to micromanage you. It's at the end of the week when we sit down together and say, Mike, why don't you bring up a call that went really well? Let's look at that call together, see what you did, what was going on, and a call that you found challenging. And then the sales manager can go, oh, this is why it was challenging. When you said this, it went on a tangent. Mm -hmm. Next time, don't do that. So it was all designed to actually give them coaching, give them validation on what they did well. And if they did a really good job on one of those calls, that went into the Hall of Fame calls that (laughs) other reps could listen to. And if they had an issue, then the sales manager could actually be a great coach and coach them on something rather than a week later, oh, yeah, I had a bad call with this customer. What happened? Well, he didn't quite get it. And it's like, no use. Yeah. Once the sales reps figured out why the software was there, 
they started using it and their sales went up 20% because their coaches, their managers could actually coach them properly now as opposed to guessing what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that trust and that connection and how do you become that manager that can lead people in the direction that they need to go. As you consult with your clients, how do you help them figure out if they're paying their salespeople fairly? Like how would you pay a salesperson fairly? How do you know what that number is? There's a couple of things that go into that. It's what is the marketplace dictating, first of all, mm-hmm. for, and for the level of experience. So I have a very good friend who owns a technology company, and he has been in business for almost 20 years. Nice. He's doing something right, but he can't seem to hold on to a salesperson. And he was telling me about the caliber of salesperson that he wants, and he told me what he was paying the last guy. I said, well, I'll tell you that what you were paying the last guy was probably appropriate for him, but the salesperson you want to hire won't consider that. They'll they'll just they'll laugh at it. And he said, "Oh well, you know, you can make unlimited commissions." I'm like, "Yeah, everybody pro- almost well almost everybody promises unlimited commissions, but the general rule of thumb is fifty fifty. You know, mm-hmm. half of your earnings come from your salary, and half comes from commissions if you're doing your job." And then the question is, well, how did you come up with quota? Is it an arbitrary number? Is it a number that the company needs? Is that number reasonable for an individual? Maybe that number needs to be split between two people. Right. And there's all these factors that they just don't take the time to think through. And if they did, they'd probably have happier salespeople and a happier sales team. And it kind of goes back to that perspective place again. Mm -hmm. This is an owner that's got his perspective on what should be happening. Mm -hmm. They should be thankful for a job. They've got unlimited potential and just being able to step into their shoes for a moment and see it from their point of view. I think there's lots of data out there that people need to earn a certain level of income. I wonder what Donald Trump's nut is every month. Probably (laughs) quite high. So if you wanted to hire him, Mm -hmm. it would be a high number. Because if you went lower, so you need to figure out how much money we need to pay so that money doesn't become an issue. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get rich on it, but it takes a worry away. And that base is important to cover. And then how do we inspire people to go beyond the quota and grow? And it takes collaboration between you and the sales team. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of sales trainings out there. What sales training would you recommend if someone was looking for something off the shelf? Off the shelf. Or customized. What would you recommend? I personally have been through some Sandler training. Mm -hmm. I've been through some Dale Carnegie training. I've read a ton of Jeffrey Gittimer. I've read a ton of Zig Ziglar, Jill Conrath. The options are almost unlimited. I think what a salesperson has to do is be diverse because most people will agree that Zig Ziglar was a great salesperson. Right. But his content isn't necessarily timeless. Right. And some of the newer sales leaders out there, like Jill Conrath and her Snap Selling program, fascinating stuff. And what you should be able to do is, again, it's like a puzzle. So you take a piece from Jill and you take a piece from Zig and you take a piece from Sandler and you take a piece from Dale Carnegie. Make it mics. Yeah. And once you're done, then you can you have this complete picture because – There are plenty of wrong ways to sell, Mm -hmm. but there is no one right way. It really comes down to your comfort level and where you are professionally. The way that I sell now is radically different than it was 20 years ago, and that has a lot to do with 
the impact of technology. You know, when I first got into telecom sales, I was a cold calling machine. Right. I'd make 100, 120 calls a day and I could set three or four appointments and that would give me what I needed to close for the week. But when caller ID and voicemail became standard, right. that method almost completely stopped working. And a lot of people want to argue with me, well, cold call works. I'm like, okay, if you want to say it works, I won't disagree with you. What I will say, it's a very ineffective use of your time to spend eight hours in a day and maybe get one meeting. Yeah, to get maybe get one meeting right. out of it is the number. So I figured out something really amazing the other day. They still produce these things called phone books. And I was walking up the office the other day, and somebody had a sign on the street for their uh, new store, and the wind was going to blow it away. So they had three phone books holding the sign down. I was like, finally, a use for a phone book. <laughs> so all salespeople sometimes, you know, hit a slump, mm-hmm. or they get a defeat. How would you help a sales rep bounce back, rebound? I had a conversation with a client I was coaching about a month ago, and she was on her way to a very big appointment. Right. And she was terrified because her boss couldn't go and the partner couldn't go. She had to run the meeting by herself. And I said, what are you worried about? She said, it's a big deal. I said, big how? She goes, it's worth a lot of money. I said, okay. Let's say you go into this meeting and it goes as bad as you could have possibly expected. Right. He takes your bag from you, throws it out the window and says, get out and never come back. Are you going to die? No. I said, then it doesn't really matter. I was thinking this morning about something I'm working on from Mike Shield Consulting, and a great quote from Jeffrey Gittimer came up. When mm-hmm. we have a problem, say to yourself, if you had $10,000, would you have this problem? Right. And if the answer is no, then you don't really have a problem. You don't have a sustained problem. Right. You don't have a terminal illness. You don't – something like that. We're going to have bad days, and we're going to have great days, and we'll have those days where we just feel like we're punching the ticket and just showing up, going through the motions. That's part of life. Right. And that's the biggest thing is to keep that perspective that you have the great days up high, you have the bad days down low, and you have those days in the middle. They're all going to happen despite your best efforts and planning. So the advice you gave her, first time I came across it was Marcus Aurelius, Emperor (laughs) of Rome. He actually has a book out there. I don't remember the name. And every chapter has a punchline. And the punchline is, so how bad really is it? At least you're not going to die. And that was his thing. Perspective. You're not going to die. What's the big deal? You can fix it later. Move on. So coming to the last part of the show, which is just closing this whole thing down, Mike, What's something you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago that would have made you more successful or happier or both? That I could go into business for myself. Brilliant. What's the best business advice you've ever received? Do it because you love it. Yeah. That's the ultimate inspiration to keep going. How important is a salesperson's mindset to their ability to produce? It is second only to their health. Right now, it's September 2017. The business climate, do you think it's going up? Going down or status quo? Compared to what? <laughs> You're kind of like feel talking to customers. Like, is there optimism in, uh, hey, the market business is getting stronger? Or is it pessimism? Or is it just business as usual? I've been through the tech bubble. I've been through the housing bubble. And I'm sure there's another bubble coming up in the next 6 to 12 months. I hear people say it's tough to sell in the summer. I hear people say it's tough to sell in the winter. It's tough to sell. As you said, mechanically, it's not a difficult process. But if you work on your mindset 
first. Yeah, I was I was working through some goals and objectives for myself this morning. I got up at five thirty to walk the dog. Right, and that's my best thinking time because I'm other than the dog, I'm completely alone. My neighborhood's very quiet at five thirty in the morning. And I was thinking through an objective that I had and what I needed to get done this week. And I started listing all the different ways I could get it done. And I felt this incredible pressure come off my shoulders because I had crystallized in my head, I can do this this week. I'm completely capable of it. I have good reason to be worried, right? but I'm completely capable of doing this. Brilliant. And I think it comes back to the, uh, although the macro has influence. Mm-hmm. But you have total control on yourself, and the micro you can control. Yep. And so it doesn't matter if it's going up or down. As long as you're focused on what needs to be done, you're going to be okay. What's the one thing I can do today to lead to my success? That's a Pete Kolash quote. I like it. Way to go, Pete. (laughs) So, Mike, before we close off, how can people get a hold of you? I am very Googleable. once you know how to spell my last name, S-H-E-L-A-H. You will find me at my website, which is MikeSheila.com. You will find me on LinkedIn, naturally, at Mike Sheila. My Twitter handle and my Instagram handles are both at Mike Sheila. And I have a Mike Sheila business page, which is Mike Sheila Consulting. And my number is 443-808-1670. Mike, thanks so much for dropping by, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Umar, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 